Our scripture reading this evening is Luke 10, 25 through 37, the parable of the Good Samaritan. And behold, a lawyer stood up to put him to the test, saying, Teacher, what shall I do to inherit eternal life? He said to him, What is written in the law? How do you read it? And he answered, You shall love the Lord your God with all your heart, and with all your soul, and with all your strength, and with all of your mind, and your neighbor as yourself. And he said to him, You have answered correctly. Do this, and you will live. But he, desiring to justify himself, said to Jesus, And who is my neighbor? Jesus replied, A man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and he fell among robbers who stripped him and beat him and departed, leaving him half dead. Now by chance a priest was going down that road, and when he saw him, he passed by on the other side. So likewise, a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he journeyed, came to where he was, and when he saw him, he had compassion. He went to him and bound up his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he set him down, then he set him on his own animal, and brought him to an inn and took care of him. And the next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper, saying, Take care of him, and whatever you spend, I will repay you when I come back. Which of these three do you think proved to be a neighbor to the man who fell among the robbers? He said, the one who showed him mercy. And Jesus said to him, you go and do likewise. This is the word of the Lord. Thanks be to God. Well, good evening to everyone. Um, I'm glad to be here. And uh, yeah, so thankful for Tim, uh, your pastor. Is uh, We've been recently reconnecting. And I've got to say to you that... Um, yeah, as Tim mentioned, when we came back from China back in 2017, uh, we came out to this church, and uh, we really felt like, uh, we just felt like a home, like this, this, the presence of Christ, the gospel. And uh, if I weren't pastoring at the church I'm at right now, I would likely be at <laughs> this church with you guys. Uh, I love your pastor. Uh, Tim is, um, you know, I've got to say that, like, of, of the pastors that... You know, I have a lot of friends who are pastors, and I've met a lot in this area, but uh, your pastor just bleeds Jesus. He ble- bleeds the gospel. He uh, Here's a man who is sold out for Christ and sold out for God's kingdom, and it's just it's so authentic, so real. Um, and I'm just, yeah, his heart, I, I just love it. And um, so you are very, very privileged and blessed to have uh, this man to shepherd you. Uh, when Tim had called me and uh, he had asked me to give this talk that you guys were going through in the middle of this series, um, I was very eager to just share because I think uh, as a Korean American uh, growing up, this is an issue of uh, that I've been wrestling with is how does my identity as an Asian American or as a Korean American, how does that fit into my identity as a follower of Jesus and vice versa. And to be honest with you, I've, it's been an issue that I've wrestled with uh, for a long time. 
And uh, it's been one of the most challenging aspects, I would say, as a pastor as well in ministry. Uh, as Tim mentioned, right now I am pastoring uh, a Chinese heritage church just down the street, Chinese EV Free Church. Uh, we have three language congregations, so uh, I'm pastoring the English, and then we have a Mandarin and Cantonese-speaking congregation. Now, you would think that as a, as a predominantly Chinese heritage church, that, wow, like we get along really, really well, right? I mean, we're more or less kind of the same, right? Uh, kind of the same cultural bent in the way. Um, but it is very, very difficult, even in that context, uh, we are constantly facing all kinds of misunderstandings, challenges of just trying to to communicate and to be to be able to clearly understand what the other person really means and what they're saying, trying to communicate clearly what what we're trying to convey. Um, it is a huge, huge challenge. Now, um, I want to share with you a little bit, I think, about my background and my story a little bit before we get into this uh, parable of the Good Samaritan, because I think uh, this will kind of help you understand the context of where I'm coming from with all of this as well. And uh, my story, I think, is a vital aspect of what Christ is doing to shape me as well in the gospel. But uh, I was born in Korea, uh, but I grew up right here in the SGV, so I'm a local kid. Uh, in fact, I grew up down the street in Temple City, and incidentally, uh, I'm back in this area in Temple City. We've been away, my wife and I, for most of our adult lives, but we're back here. Um, today, Temple City is a kind of area that I think a lot of Asian parents want to kind of move into because it's still relatively within the SGV. I guess it's relatively affordable. There are you know much more exp- expensive parts. There are uh, you know, more inexpensive parts, but this is relatively affordable, and yet it has a good school system. So they want to send their kids into this school. But when my family and I, when we moved there uh, in 1977, uh, I was enrolled at Longden Elementary School there, and my brother and I were the only two Korean Americans in the entire school. And there were two other Asian Americans, one Chinese and one Japanese. And so the four of us, that was it, of an elementary school of maybe about 800 kids. And that was pretty much the, the ethnic group at the time. By the time I graduated or enrolled into Oak Middle School, uh, the Asian American population, though, rapidly swelled to 10 of us. Okay, so it, it just boomed right there, right? Um, and we moved, I remember before moving to Temple City, we moved from an area in the school district that was actually predominantly minority ethnic groups. And then, so when my brother and I moved to Temple City, uh, we were, we just, we completely stood out. We had nowhere to hide and we were just, it was very, very glaring. And I remember my experiences there going from loving school, like I, I, I look forward to going to school every day, to just dreading it. And so I would come up with all kinds of excuses to get out as much as possible. And uh, just constantly getting into different fights, being bullied. Um, so just that was my experience growing up. My parents 
and I, like we were miserable. We didn't know what to do. Uh, what They didn't know how to help me. I didn't know how to, you know, what to do in this situation. And so it was a very, um, yeah, it was just an unpleasant, miserable situation. What I found in the process was um, that I think secretly I had started despising my heritage, my ethnic background. And I didn't fit in completely into the environment and the culture around me, but I also wasn't fully Korean either. So I felt like I was forever on the outside. I didn't have the vocabulary or, like, I guess you could say, kind of the tools to understand exactly what was happening to me internally and my relationship with my, my heritage and my ethnic background. But that was basically what was happening. And it wasn't until college that I actually met um, other Korean Americans or Asian Americans just like myself. And these people like, were really cool. Like they ate kimchi, I ate kimchi. They took off their shoes when they entered the house. I did the same thing. And yet they loved Jesus. It was the first time I encountered this group, like ever. And it was, it was eye-opening because that was a context in which then this powerful combination where I felt deeply accepted in the environment and the culture as well as deeply accepted in the gospel where it both came together. And so that was my college background. And so what happened was from there, um, and that's what I needed at the time, but from there, I started just growing my discipleship, my relationship with Jesus. And then so I got predominantly involved in, you could say, a lot of Asian American kind of ministries. And that was my background. Now, that's what I needed at the time to grow, to come to know Jesus, to get connected to the gospel. Um, I needed an environment where there weren't those barriers where I had to strive to just try to be accepted by the people around me. And that's what the Lord used. But as I have grown in my own discipleship and my own faith and what the gospel and the kingdom of God and how all this is supposed to work together, um, even though I'm very appreciative of that, and even though you could say the, the context in a lot of ways in which I'm currently in um, is, you know, there's a lot of the Asian background in it, I, I'm longing more and more for an expression of God's kingdom, of the church, of the gospel, where we can see these barriers broken down and we can see the diversity and the beauty of God's kingdom coming together in Christ. I long to see that more and more. I've tasted and I've seen this, ironically, in all places in China. The Lord, in that journey, in that part of my journey, had something a little bit different. Well, yeah, he, had, he, had, he led me to a place of ministry that I did not anticipate or expect. I went to China thinking that I'm going to work with the house churches and the underground church and doing that kind of stuff. And, and that's, I did get involved in that. But incidentally, the Lord had a surprise for me. And he had a surprise in which he would want to break down more of those barriers that I had created in my heart. 
And the way he would do that is that I would get very, very connected with and serve an international church. And that was a big part of my role in China, was serving an international church where we had people from 30-plus different nationalities coming together Sunday morning, worshiping Jesus, lifting his name high, coming under the word of God. And it was the most beautiful thing I think I've ever experienced. Um, it was difficult. It was hard. Um, none of us felt fully satisfied with the style of music, with you know the order of the worship and this and that, right? You can imagine like, yeah, Presbyterians, Methodists, Baptists, Assemblies of God, like none of the above, right? And we're all coming together, and we only had one thing, that was Jesus. We had the Word of God. And in that context, we had to learn how to put aside a lot of our prejudices, our preferences, and those things for the sake of saying, what does it mean to belong to Jesus and his kingdom alone? So I've, I've tasted and I've seen it, and I've seen that it does work because of Jesus. But I know that, as all of us here know, it is not easy. And even though we have this unity in Christ, Paul clearly talks about it. We are united to Christ. We are united together in Christ. It's already ours, but it takes a lot of work to work out. And what I want to share with you, I think just from this parable, is that uh, what keeps us from loving others well is our self-justification. Right? It's our self-justification. As long as we justify ourselves, it will be impossible for us to love people of different backgrounds, ethnicities, race, class, with the greedy compassion that Jesus is calling us to. So, looking at this parable, verse 25, Luke 10, Jesus shares this story, this this parable with us, and he says, On one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. Teacher, he asked, what must I do to inherit eternal life? Well, what is written in the law? He replied, how do you read it? And he answered, love the Lord your God with all your heart, with all your soul, all your strength, all your mind. Love your neighbor as yourself. You've answered correctly, Jesus said. Do this and you will live. But he wanted to justify himself. So he asked Jesus, and who is my neighbor? Now, here we have this man who's coming up to Jesus, and he is a lawyer. He's an expert in the law. That means that he has a high, high view of Scripture. He believes the Word of God is infallible, inspired truth from God. He has devoted his life to studying Scripture. This is how much he believes in it. He he, he, he wants to live it. He wants to be careful to obey every part of Scripture. And Jesus' response to this man is, there's, only, there's really two ways of looking at Scripture, two ways of looking at God's Word. One is you could look at it as it's a book of rules and ethics, and he answered right on the spot, doctrinally, 100%, he's spot on. And you could look at it as, if you do this, you'll live. 
right, wrong, all of that. But then it's really basically about what you and I have to do. And this was his, his lens at looking at Scripture. Or you look at it as a book about the life and work of Jesus and what only he could do. And how much he needed salvation. The lawyer only sees the first part, and so it says that he had to justify himself to make sure that he's saved. And when we talk about this issue of racism or anything else for that matter, the fundamental problem that Jesus is getting at here is a problem of, of justification. He asked Jesus, all right, well, then who is my neighbor anyway? So who is my neighbor? Seeking to justify himself. Um, this is the root issue, right? Growing up, as I shared with you, I saw myself, I think primarily, as a victim of racism, of mistreatment, of hatred. But when I look at this parable, I hear Jesus' command to love your neighbor as yourself. And when I see this, there's no way that I could see myself as a victim anymore. The same root of trying to justify or the same root that caused the others to see me through the lens of my ethnicity is the same root that is in me as well. Um, God has a real sense of humor. And I remember this came very clear to me a few years ago when we came back. And, uh, and then we purchased a home. We purchased in Temple City moved into this neighbor uh, moved into this uh, this home that actually incidentally I grew up in but the neighborhood had completely changed and um, anyway there's different kinds of people and right next to me actually in Temple City is are my neighbors that I couldn't be more opposite from here I am a middle-aged family man um, college, grad school, educated. My wife and I, we, ja- we drive Japanese cars, right? This is like, this is our thing, right? My neighbors are four white people that are basically cohabitating. Uh, one of them is super loud. They blare up like 80s music, like into the night. I can't sleep, right? And, and they drive a pickup truck, right? Um, and it's like, it's driving me nuts. My natural instinct is to look down. I'm just confessing. I'm being honest. It's to say, you know what? These guys, like, they're lacking good common sense and courtesy as neighbors. And my natural instinct is I look at my literal next-door neighbors is to want to just say, hey, you keep to your space, I'll keep to my space. Let's I just want I just want to distance myself. Right? Let's not like let's not bother each other too much. Let's learn to at least just kind of be cordial. That's good enough. That's my natural instinct. But this is where God has exposed me. 
And this is where God has used my literal neighbors to expose that I too am racist, that I too am a judger, and that I too can easily look and rack and stack people based on ethnicity, education, class, their place in society, all of those things. That I'm not just simply a victim, but I too have the same fears, prejudices, suspicions, all of that going through my heart as well. And this is what God has used. Jesus' call to love my neighbor as myself, though, means I can no longer justify myself. It means repenting not only of the racism, but the underlying ways in which I think that I'm better than them. He goes on in verse 30, and here Jesus gives, gives me, though, not only, he not only just exposes my heart, but he gives me a clear pathway of what it means to love my neighbor. Verse 30, he says, in reply, Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho, and when he was attacked by robbers, they stripped him of his clothes, beat him, and went away, leaving him half dead. The priest happened to be going down the same road, and when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. So to a Levite, when he came to the place and saw him, passed by on the other side. But a Samaritan, as he traveled, came where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. He went to him and bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey, brought him to an inn, and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii, gave them to the innkeeper. Look after him, he said, and when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense you may have. Now, this parable is so familiar to us that I think a lot of times we just overlook and we, we miss the shock value of it. Pretty much all of us know this as a parable of the Good Samaritan. But to any first century Jew who, listen, who were, was listening to the words of Jesus, this would not have come across as a parable of the Good Samaritan. This would have come across to them as really the parable of the Good Terrorist. That's how it would have come across. Um, Jews and, here, let me, Jews and Samaritans had no dealings with one another whatsoever. And here's the Jericho Road. Now, the most direct route between Judea to the south and Galilee to the north would have been to go through Samaria. But because they despised one another so much, uh, most Jews would not dare to set foot in Samaria. So they would oftentimes take the more dangerous route to go through the Jordan River. And then they would go through this road, this 17-mile stretch of road um, along, the, along the Jordan, and they would put themselves at great danger and risk to do so. Now, when Jesus talks about, in this parable, a Samaritan, or he talks about the, the priest and Levi. Uh, if Jesus started off this parable and he said this, let's say that there was a principal and there's a teacher, who would you expect the third person to be at that point? You would expect the third person maybe to be a, maybe a student. Okay? Jesus says, here's a priest, here's a Levite. These are the two religious elites. The priest is the upper class. Levites descended from Aaron. 
Levites are the middle-class farmers who came to the temple to preside over the offerings about twice, two, two weeks annually. So you have a priest, you have a Levite, then you would expect the third person in this parable to be maybe a Jewish person. But it's not. It's a Samaritan. Why a Samaritan? Why of all people would the Samaritan be the good guy in the story? For the Jewish person hearing this story, this parable, this would have come across as really an an unfunny joke. It would have come across as being filthy and unclean. Jesus here, he's not just offering good advice. What Jesus is doing in this parable is is he's calling the hearers to respond with gut-level compassion. Just like the Samaritan. Unless we learn, unless we extend and go into gut-level compassion, we will not be able to love, we will not be able to get beyond the labels. So what does that mean? Love always involves an exchange. It always involves an exchange. Think about this Samaritan. What did it cost this Samaritan to love this victim lying on the side of the road? What did it cost him? Two denarii? That's two full day's wages. He's lost time. He's late. He's delayed for whatever appointment he had next, wherever he was traveling to. Whatever commitment he had, he can't just text him. Sorry, I'm going to be a little bit late. He's lost tons of time. He gets bloody. Helping this bloody victim on the road. He needs new clothes. Whatever clothes he was wearing. He owes probably more money. Whatever he paid for the innkeeper, hey, whatever extra expenses, he's going to have to come back and he's going to fork out more money for those extra expenses. He could face repercussions, maybe from the victim's family. Maybe they might, may suspect foul play. Who knows? He's, it's lots of hassle. It's inconvenient. It's unclean. There's a lot. In exchange, what does this victim receive? This victim receives health, safety, life. And what Jesus is saying in this parable is that love is at the heart of the gospel. Love is at the heart of the gospel. And this is what he's calling us to. Jesus exchanges his life for ours. He becomes unclean so that we could be clean. He pays a price so that we could be set free. Jesus is the one who gets bloody so that now we could receive new clothes. He faces unjust charges so that we could be innocent. This is the gospel. But the gospel enables us and frees us to love because it enables us to admit that we not only have a racism problem, but a deeper self-justification problem. The ways that we treat others with suspicion, fear, and contempt is because we justify ourselves. 
During the pandemic, God has continued to just um, work in my heart. My neighbor, uh, the one who's like really loud and plays the really loud 80s music, or I can't sleep at night, uh, he severely injured his leg during the pandemic. And one day I, I walked out there, I noticed he had this big cast on. It's like, Tim, hey, what, what happened? And he told me, yeah, his car like nicked me and sideswiped me. And he just, it was a hit and run. And, and he shared like how he almost lost his life uh, through this accident. And then I was just trying to listen and like just trying to, to sympathize and just, man, that, that's terrible. Like, and we started talking and everything. And um, as we're talking, it, opened up all these opportunities where then I could say, hey, you know, if, I don't know like what your situation, your, your physical therapy situation, whatever it is, but I've got someone that I know, he, he's the head of PT at Kaiser, and he can like, he can really help you. He's really good at what he does. And so um, he was all, thank you so much. And he took the information. During that opportunity or during that time, I was able to just take him some meals, take him some food. Uh, every time I see him, hey, man, hey, how's your leg doing? Like, how's, how's that going and all that? And uh, eventually, you know, I, I just remember it, um, I was sitting in my garage, and he comes out just, again, another, you know, I was kind of, I was kind of hurried. I was just trying to get in the car. I, I needed a place to get to and all that. And so I said, hey, Tim, how's it going and all that? And then, um, but this time he stopped me for this conversation, totally unexpected. And then for the next, like, 30 to 40 minutes, he just, I, I was not prompting him. I didn't, I didn't ask him about any of this stuff. He just started sharing freely about his upbringing as a child. Started sharing about his dad and how his dad didn't treat him really well. And um, he started sharing something about his background, you know, of having some faith. But he feels like God just, you know, he's so far from God. Like, he started sharing all of these things with me is in the most unexpected moment. And I'm, you know, to be <laughs> in my heart, I was just, you know, man, I'm a little bit late for this appointment. Like, I need to get to this spot or whatever, right? But they're just fighting that. But then thinking, man, but God has provided this opportunity. And he is opening his heart like crazy. Um, he thanked me with this real deep appreciation and so we started just talking, and we started developing this relationship, and it's amazing what God started doing through that. Jesus goes on in verse 36. He says, Which of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of robbers? The expert in the law replied, The one who had mercy on him. And Jesus told him, Go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Um, I'm telling you that my, in my natural heart, in my natural condition, this is not something that I would have done. If it weren't for the gospel, if it weren't for Jesus, I would just keep my distance. Hey, let's just be cordial. As long as you don't like, as long as you don't get too loud and too crazy, all right, I, I, I just kind of tolerate that. I don't want to create any mess. I just want to, you know, I just want to keep it simple. But when I look at this parable, 
Jesus won't let me off the hook that easily. This same gospel that I purport, I claim to believe in, compels me to love my neighbor as myself. To love someone who's completely opposite of me. And to say, this is a person I've put, this is a person I want you to love. So practically, what does this mean? And I'm just going to share with you a few things. First of all, um, unlike the lawyer, the expert in the law, we have to admit our own prejudices and brokenness, whether in race, class, gender, education, social status, whatever it is. Whatever it is that we're saying, this is what gives me my justification, this is what gives me my acceptance, my worth, my value, whatever it is, right? Whatever it is that we, in our hearts, that we're saying, this is what justifies me, we've got to say, you know, I'm broken, <laughs> and I see this in my heart, and this is not the gospel. This is not what Jesus came, this is, Jesus came to set me free from this, and he set me free so that I could live out what he wants me to live out. And just freely admit that. But then secondly, the, the second word besides admit, um, I put this fancy PPT together, is to look. right? Admit and then look. Look. Look at people. Um, looking takes a lot of effort. But what does it mean for us to simply slow down, not rush by people, rush by my neighbor, but to simply look at people, to develop his heart of compassion, to see people beyond categories and cultivate that heart of compassion and love? Okay, nothing too crazy. Sometimes we want to jump right in and say, okay, what can I do to... But just start off by looking. Just look at people. This is what he calls us to. And then what does it mean then to take one concrete step of action? What will it mean to take one actionable step towards my ethnic neighbor or coworker this week who's different from me? Does it mean that I share a meal, say, hey, you, have, you want to grab some lunch together? Someone that is so different from you, ethnically or otherwise. It doesn't mean taking food, dessert, to your literal neighbor who's ethnically different. And then, you know, it's really hard to understand sometimes what they're saying because the way they think, the way they talk, and everything is just so different from you. And sometimes it's awkward and it's a little bit silent, and that's awkward too. But then you say, but these are the barriers that Jesus is calling me to overcome for the sake of building this relationship, of loving my neighbor. Um, you'd be surprised at how God then begins to work and act and use those simple steps. You'd be surprised. And as you do so, that you'll actually see um, things in your heart, but then you'll see how God then by his grace will use you then to reflect his love to your neighbor and to the people around you. What does it mean to take a real actionable step to say, this is my belief, but if this is my belief, then I'm going to live it out in a real way 
in some small concrete way this week. Um, Let's go to the Lord. I'm just going to pray for us. And as we do so, um, think about even that person in your life right now. Think about whether it's a coworker, uh, a literal neighbor, someone who is just so different and ethnically different from you. And But who is that person that maybe the Lord is putting on your heart to say, this is a person that I want you to love, to show, to look at, to um, lead me in love to this person. Father, uh, we come to you, and Lord, we are so thankful for the love of Christ. We thank you, Lord, that it's Christ who has uh, justified us. It's Christ what he has done. Lord, we can come freely to you and admit our own brokenness. We can admit, uh, even as was prayed earlier in the confession, our own prejudices, our fears, our suspicions. Um, Lord, we can admit these things because, Lord, uh, you are the one who justifies us through your work, saving work on the cross. We thank you. We praise you, Jesus, by grace that we can draw near to you Lord, I pray for all of us here and for this church, SGV The Way. I pray for my heart. I pray for all of us, Lord, to give us by your spirit the enablement to live out this gospel that we proclaim, that we believe in. Lord, reveal those things in our hearts. Lead us, we pray in Jesus' name. Amen.